0: welcome to the spiritual geek out podcast i'm your host diane hudock where we have fun talking about the phenomenal and the fascinating from angels to energy healing from mystical places to mystical teachings this is a place where we nerd out on the science of the soul Welcome to another episode of the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Dudok, and my guest today is Brent Michael Phillips. He is the author of the book, The Understanding, The Formula for Miracles. And he is the creator of his own form of consciousness healing technology called Awakening Dynamics. In this talk today, we begin with his potent personal story of strife, tragedy, illness, loss, all of it. And it's impetus that parlayed him from a hardwired MIT scientist and successful internet programmer into being a teacher of quantum healing technology. We talk today on such fundamental aspects of the universe, such as witness consciousness, the power of getting out of one's head, vehicles for coherent manifestation, the uncertainty principle as it relates to healing, the issue with herd mentality when you are trying to transform your life, and how our subconscious programming determines really what is possible for each and every individual in their life. I really hope as always that you enjoy this talk and all the episodes and that they serve you well well Brent thank you so much for being on the spiritual geek out podcast I've been uh, excited to have you on the show for a few months now and uh here we are so welcome
1: excited to be here this is great
0: great well let's uh let's start for those that aren't familiar with your background and you have a really great story uh Take me through a brief journey of your parlay into consciousness technology and what anecdotal evidence have you directly received in your life that gives you basically a proof of concept that this stuff is real and effectual?
1: Yeah, it's funny that uh, I'd be the first to admit that, oh my gosh, I never thought I'd do anything like this, right? to be teaching energy healing, showing people how to tap into the power of their minds. I mean, it seems almost crazy because when I was growing up, I was pretty much your stereotypical nerd and I liked all the nerd stuff. I loved uh, Lord of the Rings, Dungeons and Dragons, Star Trek, right? All that stuff. And so when I went to uh, figure out what I wanted to do with my life, it was pretty easy. I got into college at MIT and I went there wanting to be a computer programmer because uh, I had grown up playing video games and I wanted to make games. That that was really my vision, my purpose. And uh, when I got to MIT, though, I discovered the internet,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: which sounds funny today, of course, right? (laughs) But some of us remember the 80s, and we didn't have the internet yet. So it, it was a really big deal. And I'm like, wow, there's this worldwide computer network that has the potential to change the way we live. And it really has. So, I was really excited by that and uh, ended up making computer networking the, the focus of my studies. And when I was in grad school, the uh, World Wide Web Consortium was hosted at MIT. Mm. So, I was working with some people doing things that were going directly out to create literally the foundations of the modern internet. So, I'm really proud to have been a, a small part of that, right? Admittedly, I was a very small cog in a very big wheel, right? But I was there. I was one of the people creating, literally creating the foundations of the Internet. And so when I uh, saw that the Internet was going mainstream, I was like, wow, you know, this is my uh, gold rush. This is my chance to really make it big. So I left MIT after with a whole pile of degrees and went to start an Internet company with my lifelong best friend. Hmm. And it was kind of funny how it started. We, uh, um, Josh had, my, my ex-best friend Josh, he had, uh, had a friend he knew that worked at Chiate Advertising Agency. And so the long and the short of it was when I was on spring break in grad school, we went and pitched them on an idea to do the website for the launch of the Sony PlayStation. No way. Okay. And we got the project. And we were like, oh my God, dude, we're doing this, right? So I left uh, MIT and we started a website company and we did really well at first. We did uh, several 400, Fortune 500 companies' websites. We did, of course, the launch of the Sony PlayStation. We did the website for Nissan Motors. We did the Disneyland website. And things were going great. After a year, I had 15 people working for me. And we had started a second company as an online game studio to, to fulfill really one of my dreams, which was to, to create a networked online game, which didn't exist at this point. No one had really done it, not on a large scale. And so uh, we, we were doing great for a couple of years. We were creating websites, making money. Uh, we got a publisher for a video game, we hired a team and it was, you know, really things were rocking and rolling. And then it all started to fall apart. And uh, as these things go, uh, that the finest suit can be unraveled by one little knot in the fabric, right? Yeah. And it started with my body. That the way these companies became successful was because I was chained to my desk, 80, 90, sometimes even hundred hours a week with two fast growing startup companies right at the heart of the internet boom. And my body started to break down. It started with a little pain in my wrist and my neck was stiff and within a short time became full-fledged chronic pain. It was so bad that I had to move in with my parents because some days I was in so much pain, I needed help just cutting and chewing food. Hmm. And this wasn't just a little tingle in my wrist, right? This was really life-shattering pain.
0: What was your diagnosis?
1: Oh, uh, well, they, they uh, it's funny. I used to say that ha- I had itis syndrome. <laughs> because doctors had given me all these diagnoses with all these itises and syndromes. Uh-huh. So I was told I had carpal tunnel syndrome, thoracic outlet syndrome, um, tendinitis, uh of the different parts of my body. I mean, all these different itises and syndromes. But the long and the short of it was no one really knew. That uh, a lot of these things they gave me were kind of a junk diagnosis in that basically they're just describing what's wrong using Latin words, right? It'd be like saying, you know, my elbow hurts in in Latin is basically the diagnosis. And it's like, sorry, that doesn't really help me, right? But I went to doctors and I spent three years going to different physical therapy and movement retraining and ergonomics and all this stuff, right. Trying to get better. And it was so frustrating because I wasn't getting better. I got worse. And my ability to work went from 80 hours a week to 60 to 40 to 30 to 20 to about 10. That uh, when it was really bad, every hour I spent on the computer, I needed two hours to prepare and uh, treat myself after. Mm. So if I was on the computer for three hours, that was six hours of treatment and it was ridiculous and I I didn't know what to do, Uh, but it was then I had a ray of hope. I actually got accepted by the top doctor at the Curlin Joe physical therapy clinic to have an appointment and that was a big deal, right? I'm like, oh my God, this is a guy that does surgeries on Olympic athletes and the Lakers and the Dodgers, right? Yeah. And I really thought he was going to be able to do it. So I'm like marking the days on my calendar, right? just can't wait to meet, to meet this guy. And I go in to see him and he's this kind of stately looking Southern gentleman's wearing his suits, sitting behind the desk. And he looked at my files and he looks at me and he's just like adjusted his glasses. And he's like, well, I'm sorry, son, but there's nothing I or a doctor can do for you. You're always going to be in pain. and you never be able to work. And I was just like, what? And evidently, Uh, He had chosen my case because he wanted to meet me and uh, because he thought it was interesting that I was probably their most difficult client or patient and that I had been through three years of therapy and I didn't get any better. I got worse. And so they didn't know what to do with me. And he actually put me, recommended me for a permanent lifetime disability and told me, please don't come back. Oh because God. we can't be using our scarce resources on impossible cases.
0: That's a great approach to the Hippocratic Oath.
1: Yeah. So that was, uh, you know, they, they declared me in, uh, in their little terminology, permanent stationary, which basically means no matter how much treatment I got, I wasn't going to improve. So that was kind of the end of the, the conventional medicine. And I was depressed because I went, uh, told my friend and I thought he would be all with me. Right. I thought it'd be all, Hey buddy hang in there. I got your back. We'll get through this together. Right. And it was just the opposite. It was like, well, sorry, Brent, if you can't work like you used to, then you have no place here. And I got fired from my position of both companies that I had founded and built up right with my own blood, sweat and tears. And he turned around and sold the website company for millions of dollars behind my back. Wow. Yep. So I was left living with my parents who were then about to go get divorced. So I was losing my uh, free rent and I was with living with terrible chronic pain. I was told I could never work again. uh, And I was looking forward to a lifetime on disability. And it it was, it was really devastating. And oh yeah, I also lost my best friend and my multimillion dollar company. And I had a broken heart because my best friend had also been secretly dating the woman I was in love with. So it was, it was pretty much a grand slam. It was just, you know, boom, knocked out. And it was devastating. I started day drinking, using drugs. I was suicidal. And uh, I was very lucky that uh, I didn't totally spin out of control because I had a friend of mine turn me on to positive thinking and alternative medicine. And it was like, Hey Brent, when, you know, those doctors don't know what to do with you, maybe the, the alternative treatments can work. And I went, full bore into it. I was totally gung-ho Mr. Alternative Medicine. And long story short, I spent five years chasing treatment. Another five years, right? After three years of conventional, five years of all these things. I did acupuncture and herbs and cleanses. And I used all these different magnets and chi stimulators and electrical machines and vibration machines and chi machines. And I mean, I did all these special diets. I took you know like 50 different supplements every day i mean i could go on and on right yeah just trying to find the thing that would help me and it was so frustrating because i didn't get better i got worse no matter what i no, what what i did nothing really made any difference do
0: you think that's because you had a belief that none of it would work um, underneath?
1: I, I think you're right that i i didn't think this consciously yeah right but i, I had some deep-seated belief that this wasn't going to work.
0: Right.
1: And uh, it's really interesting. One of the physical things that happened was I, I didn't know it at the time. I had contracted Lyme disease oh, God. when I was in grad school. And that was one of the big reasons that none of the treatment worked. Uh, I also learned, again, it took me years to discover this stuff. I'd also been suffering from chemical poisoning from aspartame. Wow. So my body was really wrecked. But the, the, no one could figure out what was wrong and they couldn't make it, they couldn't help me. And so at the time, uh, I was really desperate. So I had signed up for an experimental surgery because uh, one of my physical therapists had sent me to, to see this doctor who had this experimental treatment. And I was accepted into the program, which was great. And I had the surgery. And when I woke up from the surgery, my right arm was paralyzed. And I was like, "Oh crap, right?" As bad as things were, right? Now I can't use my arm. Are you kidding me, right? And uh, you know, they did the doctors, the therapists, tried all sorts of things. They couldn't get my arm to move no matter what they did. And it was uh about 4 or 5 months later, I had had another surgery and still 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 couldn't use my arm. And then I met this crazy healer lady named Terry. And uh, she she had come recommended to me by by, uh, one of my aunts. And I had talked to her and she's like, oh, Brent, don't worry about it. You just have a lot of subconscious blocks. Just, you know, come have a session with me. Well, we'll take care of you. Don't worry. And I'm like, yeah, lady, whatever, right? Because I had done Reiki healing and pranic and, and other things like that before. And, you know, it felt nice, but it really didn't seem to do anything for me. But I went and had a session with her. And she talked about the power of the subconscious mind and how we can use a theta wave brain state to access it, and did this process of subconscious block clearing with me. And it was all very interesting. But I'm like, you know, what does my belief about my childhood have to do with my arm? Right. I didn't see the connection. And it was all very interesting. At the end of my session, she's like, okay, Brent, you know, we're going to take care of that arm for you now. I'm like, yeah, what? You got a new one for me? Right. And so she said, Oh, don't worry. And she did a healing process, which to me, it just looked like she kind of closed her eyes and went into a trance for about a minute. Right. And it was the craziest thing. There was this loud pop and crack that came out of my arm. Like it was like a little firecracker went off. Mm -hmm. I remember I was like, Whoa. And I remember Terry opened her eyes and she's like, okay, dear, let's try your arm now. And I'm like, Oh my God, I couldn't believe it. But I could move my arm again. I don't know what this crazy lady did, but something changed. Something went pop in my elbow and I could move my arm again. It's just like the surgery never happened. And so that that was truly a miracle. And that's what turned this very uh, pessimistic, cynical, scientific engineering guy into a healer, Mm -hmm. into someone who teaches and practices intuition and contacting higher beings and using the power of the mind. Pretty crazy, huh?
0: Not so crazy I think for a lot of people listening because most people, at least my audience knows that we're multidimensional beings, but I sure. hear you 100%, like yeah. especially from where you're coming from. Yeah. Wow, that's heavy duty. What a journey.
1: So it's uh, kind of funny though because I want to be clear. I I, want, I don't want people to get the wrong idea. Yeah. It's not like my life was perfect after an hour with her, right? Yeah. It wasn't. But my, my arm, which I couldn't use after the surgery, that did heal. Yeah. But I was still had chronic pain. I was still depressed. I was still angry. I was still broke, all those things. Right. Right. But with what Terry showed me, I was able to start to make a difference. And I remember saying something like, Hey, you know, I don't know what you just did here, but can I please learn it? And she was like, sure, Brent, you know, I got a training coming up in a couple months. And so I went and I tried to learn it, <laughs> right? And you would think that should be easy, right? Because I'm like learning energy healing, right? That sounds easy. Because you got to remember, I, I, I had been at the top of the pile academically my whole life. Valedictorian, national merit scholar, top of my class at MIT, honors, awards, blah, 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 right? I figured learning energy healing, that'll be easy. I was terrible.
0: Hmm.
1: I couldn't do it at all. <laughs> right? There, there was about I don't know 80, 90 people at this class. I was dead last.
0: Hmm.
1: I just couldn't do it at all. And here's what I learned that I struggled so badly to learn this stuff because I was so stuck in my head right. MIT had drilled me so deep into my mind I couldn't really feel my body at all. And I thought that was normal. It's not, but I thought that was normal, right? Not too much different than, uh, if you grow up and your father's an alcoholic, you think it's normal that daddy drinks 12 beers every night and falls asleep on the couch, right? It's like, hey, every, every dad does that, right? So I thought it was normal. But uh, what I learned was, no, it's not. Most people learn this stuff pretty easily. So when, when, I, learned, when I realized I wasn't going to be able to learn this the, the traditional way, I had a great insight. I realized, hey, I, I don't have this natural gift for healing and intuition that some of these people seem to have like Terry. Right. But I did have a world-class education and background in science and engineering. So I decided I'm going to go reverse engineer the healers starting with Terry. And that's, that's what I did. Mm. And it, it took a lot longer than I thought. When, when I started this journey, I thought it might take six months. It ended up taking about 10 years. So it was a lot harder than I thought, took a lot longer, but I think I was successful. Mm. I worked with some incredible people, healers, mystics, shamans, gurus, intuitives, right? There's really some amazing people out there who can do some pretty wonderful things. But what I learned was most of them, they do it through a natural gift or a talent. That many of these great healers and people with these mystical gifts, they don't really understand what they're doing or how it works. And that's a problem because when you don't know what you're doing, you can't really teach someone else to do it like you, now can you? So I saw that there's a big opportunity in the world to create a system that's based on real life use cases, engineering and science, rather than just throwing together, you know, throwing together a story. And I figured out little by little what the great healers were doing. There is science behind these things. You can identify exactly what's happening. And that's what I want to show people is how this stuff works. There is a formula for miracles. It's not necessarily uh, scientific in the sense that it's not like your cell phone that you can turn it on and turn it off and make calls, but it is highly reliable. And it's pretty simple that all of us have incredible power. We have the power to heal our bodies. We have the power to create wealth. We have the power to find love, happiness, right? But most of us have never been shown how to use the power we're given. Right. And so we end up using it to cause harm because we have no idea, right? And I want to show people that this is technology. That's important to me. That many people think that these kinds of things, right? Being a healer, being an intuitive, etc., cetera, that it, either you're a psychic or you're not, right? Like it's a gene you're born with. That's nonsense. Everybody can learn to do this. It is a learnable skill. Sure, some people have a talent, they'll learn it faster and more easily, but that's true of everything, isn't it? Right? If you look at musicians, some people are born with a talent and they can play the drums or the guitar, right? Others have to work at it, but everybody can learn this, every single person.
0: Right. Well, I think you're touching on something, and especially from your background, Brent, um, which is very emblematic of kind of what you're explaining your experience was, which is to me, you're describing. Uh, dare I say a fact that inner technology which you're really accessing and talking mm. about and passionate about now has nothing to do nothing to do with intellectual knowledge which you had a plethora of that's right and you can't use your brain or your smarts to get into the realm of the inner realms or that's the right or God consciousness or whatever so yeah a lot of these healers and I'll throw myself into that mix, I have a great uh awareness, an acumen of what I'm doing, but also um I have no idea how it's working. I know in the quantum that being not relegated by time or space, that things are coming quicker than the fast than the speed of light or at the speed of light, because light travels at the speed of light.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fast. Huh? <laughs>
0: right. But can I can I compute that in my brain? No, and I'll never be able to. And I I'm okay with that. We're not, I don't think we're meant to do that, but I, I, I really get that. I think we are all so conditioned um, or many of us, I should say uh, on this planet to have a plethora or our value, our inde- identity can be associated with those degrees and that level of having a certain amount of intellectual knowledge, but that's not what heals. And you found that out. That's right. I would and, love to yeah. go ahead. Yeah, go ahead.
1: You're, you're right. It's uh, the, the way uh, my, one of my uh, teachers put it, he would say that the ego and the mind cannot put food on your plate. It can just push it around.
0: <laughs> I love that. That's great.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that's largely true. You know, the, the mind can be used to create texture and drama. It's, it can be very interesting, right? Right. But it's not really creating something real.
0: Right.
1: It's not. It's not moving us closer to our goal right? right. It's, it's like people that uh, um, b- believe in sort of the simplistic law of attraction hype. Right. It's like, well, you know, it, that, that's okay if you enjoy doing it for fun, but don't expect it to make you rich, right? Right. Right. I, I like to sit in a hot tub. That's nice, right? I don't expect it to make me rich. <laughs> if I want to make money, I'm going to have to go start a business or get a job or make an investment, right? Right. And You know, but but at the end of the day, you're exactly right. This is not something that can be fully um, created in a deterministic way. Right. That by its nature, the formula for miracles is probabilistic, not deterministic. In other words, we can give you probabilities of different things occurring, but it's never complete control. Mm -hmm. If we look at, for example, great uh, story that comes out of MIT, my alma mater. You've probably heard about the MIT blackjack team, haven't you? Yes. It
0: was,
1: it was a real thing.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, what people don't understand is it wasn't one time. It's something they did every year for like 20, 25 years. Mm. And what they would do is they would recruit undergrads at MIT as juniors, train them for six months, and then you go on two trips to Las Vegas on spring break. Once it's a junior, once it's a senior. And I had a friend of mine that I used to do taekwondo with that was on the team twice that went on the trips. And here's the thing, that when you play blackjack, if you play with what they call perfect play, right, just knowing the odds, without counting cards, you will win about 49% of the time. So, if you play enough hands, you'll lose money on average, right? Right. If you play perfect play and you're counting cards correctly, your chance of winning is 51 to 53%, depending on the rules of the game. Okay. So that, that's not a big difference, is it? No. Looking at 2-3%, right? But it's a game changer, isn't it? Yes. Because at 51%, you're winning on average over time. Correct. At 49%, you're losing on average. And here's a crazy thing. My, my friend Steve, this is what he told me. The first trip, they lost money. They actually came out a little beneath where they went in. The second trip, they made a whole bunch of money. And that is what I mean by probabilistic. That by learning to use this formula for miracles, by changing the code within us, we can make adjustments to how things go in life. Mm-hmm. It's not control. It doesn't mean you win every time, right? Right. But it does mean on average, you can win more than you can lose. And that's a big difference.
0: Yeah, that, that's, that's a yeah. lot to chew on. Well, that kind of leads me into maybe a few things from your book in the beginning of your book, uh, The Formula for Miracles. And you go into a bunch of scientific principles or laws, (laughs) one being the uncertainty principle. And I guess the first question I have around that is what is its relevance in service to explaining an empirical basis for spiritual law or phenomenon?
1: So it's a great question. To to give a full answer, I'd need about an hour. Uh, Don't worry, I'm not gonna (laughs) go on for that long here, right? Flip
0: notes. notes.
1: Yeah, so the the big picture. What we recognize is that the the uncertainty principle, without getting into the nerdy details, tells us that we don't know what's gonna happen in the future. That even if, uh, for example, if you had a big computer, you could feed in information about all the particles in the whole universe and everywhere that they were, right? Okay. And using that information, you could simulate the universe forward to predict the future.
0: Wait, say that again. So you could simulate the universe- The future
1: in your computer to predict the future.
0: Okay, got it. All right.
1: Because if you know where every particle is and where it's going, it's just a matter of some math to figure out where it is in the future, right?
0: But then you go into talking about how we cannot tell. That's whatever. right. Okay.
1: But the real truth is, according to the laws of physics, we cannot tell the future that way. <laughs> right. That's why it's called uncertainty, right? Okay. Okay. So just for, for to the, the short version for everyone is it's called the uncertainty principle, because no matter how much knowledge you have about the present state of things, it's never enough to perfectly predict the future there's always going to be some amount of uncertainty. In other words, you don't know what's going to happen. And uh, I remember when I was in high school, uh, I took some classes at uh, the local college, UCI. And there was a physics professor there. I wish I remembered his name, but he was famous for ending every lecture by throwing an eraser at the chalkboard. (laughs) Nice. Right? So he'd, you know, do the whole thing and then throw the eraser at the chalkboard and then leave and just walk out. And that was kind of his thing, right? That was kind of his signature. And someone asked him once, you know, why are you doing that? He goes, well, according to the uncertainty principle, one day that eraser is going to go right through the wall.
0: Mm. <laughs> I love, I <laughs> love yeah. that. Okay.
1: So that that's a sort of a real life description of the concept, right?
0: Yeah. I kind of think, well, didn't spirit, God, the God of your understanding, source consciousness, whatever word you want to insert, didn't? Was well, isn't it set up that way? Like, would it we was. prefer it that way? It's kind of like, I have a lot of people that reach out to me that want to be on the show that are psychics or mediums mm-hmm. or, you know, um, readers, and they want to give me like kind of a sample reading. I'm like, I, I don't want to know my future because sure. I know that I can, through my own suggestibility, influence.
1: That's right. Show. And uh, there's two huge obstacles we have to accurate future readings. And that's this, one is even the best psychic, they can only read probabilities. Okay. Never certain outcomes.
0: Right.
1: And you talk to honest psychics, they know this. Yeah. This is why I mentioned the blackjack team. That's where a psychic does better. That if you randomly guess playing blackjack, you're gonna lose most of the time, right? But if you really know what you're doing, if you train and count cards, you can win. And so a psychic, all they can do is read probabilities. So if a psychic tells you the most likely probability, that most likely probability might be 1%. Mm, mm -hmm.
0: Because all the
1: others are smaller, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one problem is you're only reading probabilities and you don't know how big the probability is.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You just know that's the biggest one, right? Right. The second big problem is... Everything that happens in your future, when it's read, that reading is based on you not knowing your future. So as soon as someone tells you what's coming, you've changed all the probabilities and it invalidates the reading. Mm. Oops. So I'm not opposed to future readings, just that there's inherent limits to their accuracy. Yeah. It can never be perfect. And it's the nature of the beast. Even the best psychic in the world can't be perfect.
0: Well, then I Even- also think about karma, you know, active sure. and passive karma. You can influence that. Just go out there and go kill a person. or
1: Absolutely. <laughs> something,
0: yeah. Right?
1: Sure. 100%. And it's it's fascinating to me, to just do, to go a little more advanced here, because I'm sure some of your listeners are really into this stuff. The uncertainty principle only holds up within four-dimensional space-time. Okay. When we go beyond four dimensions, uncertainty no longer applies. I get that. So when we get into the cosmic or spiritual realm, we're no longer uh, constrained by that.
0: We're not in cause and effect.
1: That's right. We're beyond cause and effect Mm -hmm. in the moment of the eternal now.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But, you know, don't worry about that. If this is new to you, that probably just gave you a headache.
0: (laughs) No, I love that you mentioned that. Well, maybe you could kind of tag on to that another principle in your book where you talk about how nothing is real until witnessing makes it. So can you,
1: that's right. And this ties in closely with the uncertainty. Yeah. And this is actually a fascinating thing because there are limits to what science can do. A lot of people don't realize that, but are there limits to what science can do? Yes, absolutely. And science is, limited by this fundamental aspect of our universe, which is that nothing is real until it's witnessed. And so as an example, I remember uh, my first teacher, Terry, the woman that did the healing on me. One time, uh, we, we had played this game where we both bought lottery tickets for 10 drawings in a row, and we tried to do a future reading of what the numbers would be. And so it was kind of fun. We didn't do very well, um, though we actually uh, almost broke even. So by statistical methods, we did OK. But we, we were playing this. And I remember I was over at, at her uh, place for a practice group. And we had had dinner afterwards. And I looked up at the clock. I'm like, oh, shoot. You know, it's, it's, it's like 730. They already did the lottery draw tonight. Mm-hmm. It's too late for me to read the numbers. And Terry laughed. She said, no, Brent, it's not. As long as you haven't seen the result it's still not too late because for you, the result of the draw is still in flux. So that's a good quick description of what they're talking about. That even though the lottery draws at seven o'clock, I can still read it as the future at 7.30 if I don't know the results. Why? As soon as I know the results, that becomes my reality and cannot be changed. Yes. But before I know about it, it's still in flux for me. And you could read it, manifest it, or even change it. Mm. And this is, it's a whole different kind of thinking because we're so used to being in physicality and playing by the rules of four dimensions. It's very difficult at first to get beyond that thinking. Mm. That a five-dimensional being doesn't have to travel anywhere because it can simply be where it chooses.
0: I'm thinking you can explain scientifically or from your inroad of thinking and knowledge and expertise. A lot of these illusionists and how they do certain things, like I'm thinking of this one guy and his name is, oh, it's it's escaping me right now. And I saw his show in New York city and it was probably the most incredible show I've ever seen. And people listening are probably just screaming in, in their car right now going, it's this guy. And, uh, and uh, anyway, and at the end of the show, he talk. it's all about this brick and how it relates to his life. And then you go find this brick down on like, you know, 37th and 7th. But in the beginning of the show, you go pick a, um, like a name that really connects with who you are. Maybe you're an actress, maybe you're a writer, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're a healer. And, Everybody picks. I went with my best friend. She picked uh, I'm a tough nut to crack. And I picked I'm a healer. And uh, and so there's about 100 people in the audience. I think it was like a 99 seat theater. And I have no idea how this guy did this. But at the end of the show, it was so profound. He literally looked at each person in the eye and he told them the card that they had picked, which you held on to, nobody saw. There was nobody, like this was in a, the back of a tiny theater on a brick wall, you know, and you just go, how did he do that? Yeah. How did he do that?
1: <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting that uh, th- th- there was a movie around what 15 years ago called The Prestige, all about the history of magic. And there was a great line. And in the movie, they say, wizards actually do what magicians pretend to do
0: Ooh, okay
1: and i think that, that that's a great distinction to make Ooh. that i'm interested in wizardry illusion and magic is great i enjoy magic right but to me that's just entertainment wizardry is really changing the world around you mm. um, more alchemy would be a different means really yeah. same thing different methods right Right. The wizard has his spell book. The alchemist has his chemicals, right? Hmm. They're both looking to connect with some source of magical power. And so what what happens with illusionists is they're very good at knowing uh, how people behave. For example, th- this is how the uh, misdirection works. They know how to draw your attention here or there. So you're not looking there, right? When, when I saw Siegfried and Roy, it was what, 2001. I was absolutely blown away. I would have sworn he folded up a tiger into a tiny little square, put him in his pocket, took it out and out jumps a tiger. And you know, that's not possible, right? Right. So how do they do it? What, what they do is they're, they're very great students of the human mind and they know how to cold read people. They combine that with illusion as well as oftentimes there's a lot of nefarious tricks going on too. Now, I don't know what show you're referring to or this person or how it works, right? But I could start immediately imagining a lot of ways it might have been done. Uh, How was it done for sure? I don't know. Hmm. But I do know that for pretty much all these sorts of things, there's an answer, but it's usually some combination of misdirection, uh, great coordination, right? that they can hold things with the back of their hand and magicians learn how to do all these amazing things with their bodies. Right. And we don't know what they can do. Therefore, we assume it's not possible. And we see the magic and go, wow, that's amazing, right? Uh, So I don't know for sure, but I do know that magic is is certainly real and as is wizardry. And I'm here to find people that want to be wizards, Mm -hmm. that don't just want to look like they're changing the world around them, that actually want to do so.
0: Is manifestation, and this is kind of circling back to the, the witness uh, uh, principle, which brings me into, as someone who's studied a lot of yoga for many decades, I think of the uh, principle of in yoga called witness consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. And really in yoga, the mind, or I should say yoga is the cessation of the fluctuations of the mind and witness consciousness is that aspect of being able to be the witness or the seer without attachment? Yeah. So you're really looking at it through the heart, through the Atman, not through the head, where you are um, imposing a, a something on onto that image or that thing. And so it leads me to this question of is manifestation, an act of the mind or the
1: heart or both? I would say both.
0: Okay.
1: That the the heart provides the power and the mind provides the direction. I like that. So it would say it's like if your mind were a car, that the conscious mind would be the steering wheel and the subconscious would be the engine and transmission and the rest of it. So okay. the the mind is very good at identifying and understanding things and deciding what we want to do the mind is not very good at giving meaning to what happens. So I I would say it's a little of both. And to really have a great life, I think you need to have both balanced and working coherently together. And and that's really important. They have to be coherent. Because there are people, uh, I know when I was at MIT, certainly lots of people who had an incredible mind, but weren't very connected to their heart. And when that happens, you end up working hard. You get taken advantage of. You'll make a living, but you'll never really get ahead. Right. And you'll never really be happy.
0: Right. Not fulfilled.
1: Yeah. On the flip side, the new age world is full of some people that are too much in their heart and not in their mind. Agreed. They can't get their, they can't get their crap together to show up for a job or be held accountable or these things. Right. Right. That, you know, start a company and never file any taxes for it. Things like that. Right. Now it's great to be in the heart but without the mind to guide it the heart can get us into a lot of trouble (laughs) so ideally we want to have both
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and when we can get the brain and the heart to be coherent and work together then we're immensely powerful
0: Mm
1: -hmm. this is one of the reasons is why i said earlier we're all so much more powerful than we realize it's just you're unconsciously pissing away all your power on things that don't matter Uh, in particular we 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 give away most of our power i would say to the things we're resisting the things we don't like the things we're trying to get rid of in our life right yeah so we need to learn how to uh, work with the head and the heart because they both need to be open they both need to be working well right Right. it's kind of like if if you want to run fast what's more important a strong left leg or a strong right leg
0: Both.
1: right Having one be much stronger than the other actually holds you back, right? If you got a super strong left leg and a really weak right leg, you're just going to run in circles, (laughs) right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's that's not going to be fun.
1: Yeah, and I think for many people, you'll get the best results if you identify where you're out of balance and then strengthen the part that's weak.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, let's go into uh, something you talk about in your book that I I'm really um, keen to kind of go down the rabbit hole with you a bit. And that's how our subconscious programming determines what is possible for each individual. Yep. And
1: I think- absolutely,
0: Yeah, I think people listening, most people listening again, I think are aware of this on some level. Do you want to extrapolate on that?
1: Sure, so the, the, the my saying is this, I like to say that we all live in prisons constructed out of what we think we know. And that's yeah. really important. Yeah. And for anybody that really wants to move your life ahead, maybe you want to heal your body. Maybe you want to make a lot more money. Maybe you want to find love. Maybe you just want to have a secure retirement. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's an addiction, whatever it is, right? If you really want to have a better life, we all have to make a decision. Do you want to have a better life or would you prefer to be right about what you think you know? (laughs) Choose carefully because you can't have both.
0: Mm. Mm
1: -hmm. And we we need to think about that. And it's unfortunate. Most of us tend to choose what we think we know over growth and transformation and having a better life. And
0: uh, tired of being sick and tired of having the same old, same old.
1: A good example would be um, for, for me and almost all my students, we have friends and family that are skeptical about what we do. They don't believe in energy healing or the power of the mind or any of that, right? Yeah. And so you go, well, what, what do we do with that? Well, what, what we recognize is for people like that, they've just decided unconsciously that their idea of reality is so comfortable to them, they're not willing to threaten it.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And so it's much easier for them to just go, oh, it's bunk than to have to re-examine, hey, what if I'm wrong about this? And it's, this is so key for our lives because I remember when I first met Terry, that's such a low point, right? I was broke. I was near homeless. I was living with near constant pain. I was believed I could never go back to work or recover my life. I had lost millions of dollars. Uh, my parents had divorced. My father was dying. I mean, I could go on and on with all this stuff, right?
0: Mm-hmm. I had a
1: surgery. My arm was paralyzed. Now I can't even drive myself, right? I can't brush my teeth. It's hard to even use the bathroom. And it's like, wow, what's going on here? At that time in my life, I would have sworn that what I believe to be true is irrelevant. What I used to think was what we believe or feel, who cares, it's irrelevant. There's just a truth of reality that's out there and that's that, that my belief about it is irrelevant. I could not have been more wrong. Oh my God, I thought I was so smart, right? I had all these academic accomplishments, right? You know, I crushed all these different standardized tests, near-perfect scores, high grades, you know, awards, achievements, honors, blah, 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 right? And I missed such a fundamental thing. I was so wrong about this thing I thought I knew. And then I went to Terry and she introduced me to what we call belief work, which is changing beliefs held in the subconscious mind. And she talked to me for an hour about these beliefs I had did a bunch of block clearing and then a healing process and my arm went pop and I could move it again. And it was just like, Oh crap. Clearly my beliefs do matter. Huh? <laughs> right. Completely. Yeah. And I had to be, if I wasn't willing though, to threaten those beliefs, I never would have showed up for the session.
0: Yeah. I'm also hearing you were in a place of necessity.
1: Yes. It was it was really life or death.
0: Yeah, and I think that answers the why for a lot of people that, like you, would be skeptical and say no way. I think of my father who went to MIT as well, and we mentioned uh, we talked a little bit about him before we got on this podcast, and he was he was a scientific guy to the max. He would say to me just he'd go out of his way to say, Diane, there's no such thing as magic. There's no such thing as all this spiritual stuff. Yeah. I mean, we'd go to church, but that still, he didn't even imbue really what was behind the text because it was just a religiosity of rules rather than a tapping into this greater dimensional divine self, which is a whole other conversation, but he went to MIT, he flew airplanes, he built rockets for NASA, he was at the top of his class. He knew how to break down the most ridiculous equation like he was making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with his eyes closed. And yet when he was leaving his body um, and he was dying and he was about to transition, he had the most, in my opinion, (laughs) as far as deaths go, He had the most extraordinary experience because he was seeing people that were his clients. He was a lawyer uh, that were on the other side, welcoming him with their arms open wide. He was naming a slew of people, first and last names, who I never knew who they were. But I remembered because I was paying attention. I remember asking my mom, who's Mary Merger? Who's so-and-so? Who's this person? She said, oh, those are all clients that died. And he's just mentioning all these beings of light, of clients that have crossed over, relatives that have crossed over. And he's having this complete transcendental supernatural divine experience that was so magical. And even in his awareness, he's blown away in his awarenesses where he's going, this is wild. <laughs> and he died the next day. And I just go, well, everybody's going to get it. Eventually, they might get it on their deathbed. They might get it in their next lifetime, or they might get it like you got it, Brent, in a time of dire necessity because spirit needed to use you this way so that you could talk to all the other skeptics that were as rooted in the intellectual knowledge um, uh, area. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And just go, yeah, I hear you. I was like that too. But anyway, come on over here. It's much more fun. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, what, what, what I was told was, Brent, you've been sent to Earth to help people get out of their heads. There you go. Because I think I can relate to a lot of more mainstream kind of people. Yeah. Because, you know, begin because I am a nerd, I'm an engineer, a technologist. I never stop loving science. I just see it has limitations and can be complemented wonderfully by, by the spiritual process. We need both. Yeah. Why not have both, right?
0: Right. <laughs> I, I want to read a little excerpt from your book on what I consider the herd mentality and just kind of why that sucked for you as it relates to creating what you want in your life. And you say very simply, the most likely quantum pro- the most likely quantum probabilities, the ones described by the so-called laws of physics, are manifestations of mass consciousness. The way it works is that if you do not have a strong program within yourself about the way something is, you will instead take on the programs from the mass consciousness around you. So unless you have specific programs within yourself that allow you to transcend gravity, you will take on the mass consciousness gravity programming, which we all experience to be identical because we are all sharing the same programs of mass consciousness. Which explains COVID. <laughs> that
1: explains a lot of things, doesn't it?
0: I say that lightly, and I say that jokingly, and you know, explains a lot of things. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, if if you if you don't want to create a new programming for yourself, you're going to just kind of follow the the main the main narrative of whatever goes goes, whatever yeah. possible is possible.
1: You know, it's kind of like uh, it used to be before 9-11 and COVID and all this kind of destroyed air travel. It used to be if you wanted to have a decent meal on the airline, you had to call them in advance and arrange a special meal. Right. And you could do that. And the special meals were generally much better. Yes. Right. You could say, I'm a vegetarian or a vegan or I don't eat this or that. Right. Yes. And they would make you a special meal. And they were almost always much better than the standard stuff. Right. If you did not request a special meal, then you got your choice, the chicken or the fish, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Both are awful, right? Just pick the one you think is less likely to make you sick, right? (laughs) And so consciousness is like that. If we're willing to go do the work to arrange the reality we'd like to experience, it's so much better. If you don't, then you just get the mass produced stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's okay too, right? If that works for you, that's fine. There's no problem with that. Right. I suppose some people used to like airline food. Right. But if you, if you don't, you know, there are, there is technology to make a difference. And the biggest thing holding us back is what we choose to believe. It's really that simple because once we're emotionally invested in a belief system, it's very difficult to challenge.
0: Do you think belief has an influence on healing?
1: It it, it isn't just an influence. It's almost the whole thing. So can you
0: heal someone, let's say someone doesn't know if it works, can they receive any degree of healing or do you? Um, it properly? depends.
1: Okay. Can they be healed? Yes. Really what it comes down to is, do they believe it's possible or have they shut the door on possibility?
0: So they receive it to the degree of receptivity?
1: Yeah. So if they believe it's possible, but perhaps unlikely, then yes, they can be healed. If they're absolutely convinced that this is not real and couldn't help, uh, almost certainly they cannot be healed.
0: With you on that. And,
1: and this, is, this is why it was so important for me to have a background in science, because when I went to go see Terry, I knew that it was possible it might work, even though I didn't expect it. Why? Quantum physics. I had studied quantum physics sufficiently that I understood that nothing is certain in life. We never know what's going to happen tomorrow, and no matter how likely you think something is, there's always some chance it doesn't happen. Right? Mm-hmm. That there is some chance that the Earth, that the sun will not rise tomorrow. It's a small chance, right? But a rogue black hole could come through our solar system overnight, and boom, no more sunrise.
0: Mm.
1: But short of that, we expect it, right? So all all that a miracle needs to sneak in is a little crack. Okay. So if you believe it's possible, just highly unlikely, that's good enough. And sometimes the skepticism can actually help. Because remember, I didn't think anything would happen when I had my first healing session with Terry. But I think that actually helped because I didn't have a lot of expectation or attachment.
0: Right, right.
1: Right. If I had gone with, oh God, lady, you gotta fix my arm or I'm screwed. Oh, please, you're my only hope, right? That would have killed the process. I would not have healed. That's too much attachment, too, too much control with the mind. But I went in with, hey, you know, this cost me a hundred bucks and an hour of my life. I hope it helps, though I don't think it will. That, that was actually okay. That actually was good enough. So for, the, for, the, for those listening, you have friends, family that are skeptical. I hear, yeah. the The worst thing you can do is try to convince them. The best thing to do is use these tools, use this technology, improve your life. Make more money, be more charismatic, improve your health, feel better, find friends, find love, right? Whatever you need. And when the people around you see the changes in you, they're gonna get curious. They're gonna wanna know what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. And when they ask, play a little hard to get, right? (laughs) It's like, you know, that cute guy in high school that finally asked you out, don't just be like, Oh God, I go out with you anytime. Just say when, right? No, no. Play a little hard to get, like, you know, hard. Friday doesn't work for me, but how about, how about Saturday for lunch? Right? <laughs> right. Just play a little hard to get. And you know, that, that'll just reel him right it.
0: Right. Little contrast is good for yeah, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. a little bit of what they call the push pole in the dating industry. That's right. That's
0: yep. right. Um, I got a little million dollar question for you that you okay. probably.
1: Only get, a million? Shouldn't it be a billion dollars now with inflation?
0: Why limit myself? I mean, tru- well, it's
1: just a million dollars. This isn't what it used to be, right? <laughs> <It's true. laughs> you I can't mean, even buy true. a house in a lot of nice neighborhoods in Very California true. for a million dollars. True.
0: Right? Don't tell me what you can get for a million in Los Angeles here by the freeway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is what a trillion, quadrillion question, quadrillion dollar question that. You probably can't answer. I don't want to put that out there as a probability. That's just an assumption. Mm -hmm. But um, I really want to hear how you answer it. So that's why I'm asking you from your your brain, your consciousness. So in your book, you mention that it's important to recognize that science provides us with the foundation upon which miracles can be built, right? And indeed, quantum physics has shown us that the foundational nature of reality is that, as you say, anything can truly happen. Anything's possible, the possibilities are infinite. So my question is, how can we as humans (laughs) reach the level of mastery over our own internal gravity programming so that our personal subconscious programs take over the place of the mass consciousness programming and gravity so that we can fly?
1: Uh, I have an answer. It's just, it's a tough one. Okay. Is you have to get uh, so embodied that you have enough consciousness in your body and mind to bend the loss. Okay. And that's a process. Um, it's uh, th- the way I would do it is through the advanced work that mostly here we've talked about the, the, the more uh, fundamental level of healing learning to access intuition, right? Doing healings on the body, clearing subconscious blocks, things like that. There's a whole advanced side of awakening dynamics involving the quantum field work. And it's a little hard to talk about. Very advanced, phenomenally, mind-blowingly powerful. So of all the people that that I've known that have done some amazing things, uh, my mentor, Carl, would be top of that list. And he would say that, yeah, I could put my arm through the wall, but one of two things would happen. Either you just wouldn't see it, your, your mind would just map it out so you didn't see it, or it would drive you crazy.
0: Why would it unless drive you crazy?
1: Because it breaks your paradigm. We're not supposed to be able to put our arms through walls.
0: Unless you're ready to see that. Right,
1: unless you're ready to see that. And most people aren't ready. And so it would literally break your mind. And he knows this because he did it with someone. And the guy went nuts. He was a very successful lawyer. Uh, just he became a bum. Lived on skid row for twenty years. Hmm. Eventually recovered.
0: Okay,
1: but the, we have to be a little careful with his consciousness. You, you need to know what you're doing. It's it's really powerful, right?
0: Yeah, I agree. well, it's spiritual energy, and you yeah, have and a anything that's
1: that powerful can can be harmful if you misuse it. Agreed. Right. Well, atom- have- atomic energy powers many homes, but it also kills a lot of people with radiation. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Good point.
1: That, that there's a, there, there is danger here. Yeah. And but but that is the where we get out of the head. And in the advanced work, really, the way I would describe it is that when we're born, our bodies are full of consciousness and life energy. We are little pieces of God, right? And as we grow up, things happen to us. We slowly squeeze the consciousness out. It's like squeezing the toothpaste out of a tube, right? And one day, there's no toothpaste left. And we got to get it back in there. And so using these more advanced movements and quantum field entrainment techniques, we can actually get the consciousness back into the parts of our body that have lost it. And this is literally how you get someone out of their head. It's the only thing that works. And with enough uh, quantum energy in your body, which will take years or decades to build up, you could potentially break these laws. Now, I've never broken gravity myself, but I have broken the law of time. How? What did you do? Uh, I, I, I could give a couple experiences. Okay. One was I was bending time. Uh, I was It was about two o'clock. I was actually driving to Las Vegas for a seminar from LA. And I needed to get to the hotel by three, but it was 85 miles away. And there was too much traffic to drive more than about 60 miles an hour. So I just, you know, did a manifestation process threw in my favorite CD which I know is exactly 72 minutes long and I arrived at the hotel 56 minutes later never having gone faster than 60 miles an hour which is mathematically impossible in multiple ways one I listened to the whole CD in less than 60 minutes that's impossible right I traveled 80 miles in under an hour, never going over 60 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. That's impossible. So that was a little one I had a few years ago. Um, I went super deep into the quantum field with my advanced group uh, earlier this year at a live music show. And we went so deep into the quantum field, it was the weirdest thing. It seemed like the whole concert lasted five minutes. But when I look back on my memories of it, I had a, at least an hour and a half worth of memories. And that makes no sense.
0: Say that again. You had.
1: I, if I thought back to all the discrete memories I had. Yeah. They added up to about an hour and a half. Okay. But I would have sworn it was less than five minutes.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah.
1: That's what I mean. You can break the law of time. So right. gravity and part of it is also not being attached to it. If it's like, oh, boy, I'm going to convince the skeptics. I'm going to show everyone, go on Oprah and levitate. No, good luck. Won't work.
0: Now, does that have something to do with that principle of, um, what is, I guess it's the principle of relativity, where speed slows down. What is it? 50%? When you go at 50% the speed of light, you create greater mass, right?
1: Correct. Your, your, your mass expands and time slows down.
0: Right. So we can't speak, travel at the speed of light because we'll incinerate or blow yep. out, whatever. So, but when you're we're healing, well, I have a couple questions around kind of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Are we dealing with anything with the principle of relativity when we're bending space and time?
1: Um, yes, but we're really doing it through the quantum lens. Okay. And w- one of the challenges of science today, it's really... The challenge of the last hundred years
0: okay.
1: is integrating quantum physics in general relativity. Okay. That is the at least the, the greatest challenge in fundamental physics. And so it's a little difficult to talk about um, energy healing and mind power through general relativity only because it fits much better with the quantum physics. Mm-hmm. And we at least conventional scientists have not reconciled the two. There are some people out there that have some really fascinating theories that might work, but nothing that's been proven. So I would say it's more about quantum physics. However, it is my personal belief that healing energy travels faster than the speed of light because it is a quantum effect.
0: I would agree with that. I would
1: love to have an opportunity to work with like an astronaut in orbit or even better (laughs) like on the moon, right? Right. So, we could actually experiment and check to see that energy work is in fact actually transmitting faster than the speed of light.
0: How could we measure that, do you think?
1: Well, it, it, the further away, the easier it gets, right? So, uh, as an example, one of the things that's pretty easy to heal for me is allergies. Okay. It's not perfect, right? Nothing here is perfect, probabilistic, but I'm probably, you know, 80, 90% on it. But pretty good success rate. So you could have a, an astronaut on the moon who has an allergy. They could test it. Well, they got an allergy. And then at a specific time, uh, we, we, we could arrange it such that we'd check with a, you know, it could be a blood test or even a simple muscle test that I would send the healing or the changes at a certain time. And they would check it to see whether or not it got there before or after.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So it's
1: doable, but the further away you are, is the easier it is.
0: Okay, that makes so sense. So if
1: you're on the moon, you have a two to three second delay. Okay. That's hard to test. It's possible, but you got to really put a lot of thought into it. On Mars, you're like eight minutes away. Okay. So if we had someone on Mars, I think it would be pretty easy to test, right? Because I would say, well, you know, uh, let's change this belief on you. You're not going to hear that till eight minutes after the shift happens, right? Mm. So you could test it in the middle to prove that, wow, healing does, it, it's possible to either prove or disprove. I don't know what would happen, right? We haven't done the experiment.
0: No, that's fascinating.
1: But it, it is possible to arrange an experiment that would show one way or another the speed at which it travels. Right. But I'm pretty convinced this is a quantum effect that goes faster than the speed of light.
0: Mm. Okay. Okay. Well, you helped your mom heal, or you say instantly heal from cancer. And I have two questions around that. Mm -hmm. One is, how was it instant and how did you measure that? And number two, what visualizations and commands from the theta brainwave state did you implement to cause that healing to take place?
1: So first question is, how did we measure it? Well, pretty easy. Uh, My mother had had some health issues. She went to the doctor. They ran tests and were like, oh God, you're dying of cancer. And they sent her in to have a to have a biopsy to diagnose it. So between the biopsy and the surgery, my mom told me about it. Because she had to have surgery to, to remove the, the affected body parts. And she she had told me about it, and we had arranged a healing session. And so I got together everyone I could, all my teachers and you know, mentors and colleagues and before the healing i spent about 30 minutes on the phone with her doing block clearing very similar to what terry did with me same thing i do in my webinars private sessions teach people in classes right get the subconscious really clear then we just did a group healing process and what my mother said was she felt this intense warmth running through her that part of her body that it was really tangible and then she had the surgery. It was maybe three days later. And the, her doctor was astonished. All the cancer had vanished. Mm. And it was, what, 10 days or something between the biopsy and the surgery? And the, her, and her uh, oncologist was like, you know what? You know, I don't know what happened here. I've never seen this in 30 years. But somehow, all the cancer somehow left your body since we did the biopsy.
0: Wow. Why yeah. the theta state?
1: Well, th- there's a whole lot to this technology. Okay. Just like if you ask me, hey, Brent, how do you build an airplane? There's there's not one, There's not a simple answer, right? There's a lot of different pieces. So consciousness is like that too. There's a lot of pieces to consciousness technology. And on my journey of reverse engineering the masters, that's kind of what I figured out, right? It's too much today to get into all the tools of higher dimensional living. But I'll talk about one piece right now that's easy. For those that want to go deeper, come to my Helathon live webinar. I'll go through all seven and do some demonstrations too. So you can actually experience this stuff. Right? Yeah. It's great to talk about it, but it's better to do it. So the yes. theta wave specifically, this is one of the first things I learned is that. The research done at Stanford and other places for the government in the 60s and 70s, they did research on remote viewing and the power of the mind and all this stuff, right? And the research concluded that all of these paranormal phenomena are strongly associated with the theta brain state, which is important because the theta state is normally only accessed when we're asleep and having a dream in what's called REM or rapid eye movement. So in order to create miracles, one of the pieces is you need to learn how to create the same brainwave pattern when you're awake and conscious that you get when you're asleep and dreaming. And that's one of the gifts that Terry gave to me. She showed me how to do that and how to make it really simple and fast for people. So my goal is to make it really easy for everyone to learn to heal their bodies to clear subconscious blocks, to manifest things into their life, right? The first steps of the journey into awakening dynamics is learning to get your life better, right? We got to heal your body. We got to get you to make more money, be be, feel better, be happier, right? Then we transition into the advanced work, the quantum field work, really just, just to surrender the ego and fully embrace the flow of divine life through us. And I know that sounds a little new agey, but it's what we're here for. As long as we're living from the mind and the ego, there's gonna be friction and and suffering. And we're gonna feel alone, we're gonna feel unloved, all this stuff, right? Once we learn how to harness this power we have, things can change. It doesn't always change overnight, right? That My frozen elbow healed instantly in the first hour. It took me 10 years to really make a difference with money. I'm not saying it's gonna take the listeners 10 years, that's just what it took me, right? It took me 10 years to find love. It took me seven years to, to build my intuition to where I trusted it. But you can do it. Every single person can do it. And the theta wave is actually one of the easier pieces. But without that, you're stuck. Because the theta wave is like this magical key that unlocks the subconscious mind. Okay. So if you're able to use access the theta state when someone's awake, you can go in and make changes straight to the subconscious. It's pretty profound. And that's one of the first things I want people to experience. This can be learned in a couple hours
0: Mm.
1: and it's incredibly powerful. I mean, heck, at the very least you can clear all your allergies, right? I did. I I had a, a blood test done. I had like 37 different things I was allergic to. I healed 36 myself. One I had to go to Terry for help for, but I cleared everything and you can go take the blood test and it'll show it's gone. Right. that that this is good to do to show that your mind really has the power to change reality. It really does. It's not a magic wand, right? It's not make everything exactly the way I want it, but we do have this ability. You just need a good teacher to unlock it.
0: Agreed. Well, we're all equipped with the source code within our DNA. Agreed. We are. One more question and then I'll let you go. Just curious, what specific things do you do every morning to get you on the grid of sure. your consciousness? What do you so do specifically?
1: Th- 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 there, there's two things that I do. Okay. One is I, I start every day with a very short meditation of simply being as aware as I can of my body and what's happening around me. Real simple to, to really get present in backing your body for the day. And the second is as I'm starting my day, the first 20 minutes, I pay close attention to my attitude. That one, th- a pattern I've been working for a long time to break is waking up every morning, expecting resistance and struggle. Because my life was so much struggle for so long. Every day, it was like waking up into a new nightmare. And I used to say that the only time I'm, I, I'm actually happy on this planet is when I'm sleeping. Mm. That the waking hours are just a big nightmare, right? And so I'm very aware of, am I expecting difficulty today? Am I dreading the day? Am I worried about it? Or am I simply present trusting the divine plan to bring me another day of exciting adventure? So it's a little different than most people, but you know, I've done lots of morning routines. This is what really works for me. Because I found that 20 minutes into your day, you've already set the tone, haven't you? Right. 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 It, it's, uh, it's funny. This is a lesson I learned playing video games, that some of my favorite games are the Civilization series, mm. where you build up a civilization starting in 4000 BC. And here's what I found. Little changes at the beginning make gigantic differences at the end. Mm. So it takes a huge amount of energy to, to conquer a civilization 2000 years later. right? You do it early on. You send in a band of warriors. Take the village. Done. <laughs> so that's why I think the the early morning is super important for us, because those first twenty minutes are precious. They're going to set the tone for your whole day. Yeah, agree. So what, how, whatever your routine is, come out of it feeling the whatever way you need to to have an amazing day. Yeah. You know whatever that is for you, right?
0: Love it. Get to it. Don't delay. Yeah. Well, Brent, where can we find you? And all this information will again will be written in the show notes. But just as people are listening and they want to hear right now, where can we find you and anything you want to leave our listeners before we go?
1: Well, anyone that would like to learn more, maybe experience a miracle for yourself, best thing is to head over to my website at awakeningdynamics.com. And you'll see a big button, a big arrow that says save my seat. That will save your seat for the free upcoming Healathon Live webinar. And I really encourage people to come to the Healathon because I'll be with you live, walking you through all the seven tools of higher dimensional living and demonstrating them so you can experience it for yourself. Because I don't want anyone to believe what I'm saying just because I'm saying it. I want you to go have your own experience and see what happens. I think you'll be blown away. Once you're registered for the Healathon, which will take you 10 seconds. You might check out my YouTube channel. There's a link right on the homepage. And there's also a spiritual power quiz to help everybody to identify what is your secret spiritual power? Because we all have one, but most people have no idea that they have this enormous gift and power hiding within themselves. So I'd, I'd love to reveal that for you. I'd love to show you how to use this power.
0: What is your secret spiritual power, Brent?
1: My secret spiritual power is I channel the laws of the universe. Hmm. I'm a science intuitive, uh, I don't want to say I'm on the level of Tesla or Newton, right? But that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. that I can just look at something and have a sense of how it works. And this is the exact power I had to tap to reverse engineer the masters.
0: Hmm.
1: I look at my life, I go, you know what? Not just anybody could do this. It took a very particular set of skills and talents and backgrounds and education. That is exactly what I had. That must be a coincidence, huh? Mm.
0: Divinely ordered, I would say. Yep.
1: I used to think I was so good at engineering because I was super smart. Turns out I'm not that smart, but I have this great intuitive gift to know how things work. So there you go.
0: Beautiful. Thanks so much for your time, Brent. This was so um, just such a juicy conversation, and you answered many of my nerdy questions, so I'm grateful.
1: <laughs> no, this is great. This is exciting, and you know I really hope that we can reach some people, give them the technology to really make a difference in their lives.
0: Ah, uh, ditto. Thanks again. Awesome. Hey, guys. Thanks for checking out the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, check out more by subscribing on your favorite platform or go to spiritualgeekout.com.